So we're going to step into our next panel, which is reimagining and reigniting worker power. I would like to bring Linda to the screen so she can Jane. introduce. Hello, it's good to see you. Good to see you too. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to turn over the floor to you so you can bring on your panel and begin your, your conversation. So thank you. Thanks. The floor or whatever we have here, right? Um, right. The panel today has to do with the fact that working people currently face major challenges for economic control, justice, and for legitimate control of their workplaces and their lives. And our distinguished panelists today, three of them, are going to be talking there about the ways in which they themselves work to reignite and revive worker power and dignity. Then some of the challenges they face, and then their ideas and proposals for working people to build diverse coalitions so that we can create a new world in which all of us enjoy justice and democracy. My name is Linda Gillison, and I'm moderating today. I'm actually a retired faculty person from the University of Montana. At the University of Montana, for about 25 years, I was actually the member of a unionized faculty, the first time ever in a a long academic career. And I came to see at that time how much more sane, died, and manageable our lives as employees of the university were as we had a union to stand behind us and to um, negotiate for us and so on. So um, I'm also, along with Lawrence um, Abbott, who will be one of our um, panelists today. I'm also the co-chair of the Labor Caucus of Move to Amend. Uh, you can find us on Facebook. Um, I also work here in North Carolina with the Poor People's Campaign and with the League of Women Voters here in the Piedmont Triad, my area of middle North Carolina, um, to think about the Native people who have found their homes here for a long, long time and still continue to find their homes here. Um, an important group was the Lumbee in my part of North Carolina. They have now been recognized by the House as a federally recognized um, organization, but have not yet been uh, recognized by the Senate. So we're waiting for that to happen. So I'm just now going to uh, begin to introduce our panelists. Uh, the first is Afifa Khalik who is the Chief of Staff of the SEIU for Florida Public Services Union. Hi, Akifa, how are you? I'm good, how are you doing, Linda? I'm good, thank you very much. Akifa has worked on various issues of racial justice, women empowerment, and generally toward challenging the uh, status quo, which creates and maintains, as we've been hearing about from the other panel, so much of our social injustice with which we live. She's working to redefine labor, politics, economy, and social justice in, uh, which is a large undertaking. And Afifa, we look forward to hearing your, your uh, comments and discussing with you later. Our next panelist is Karina Ramirez. Uh, she tells me that her um, pronouns are she, her, and Aya. And she began to volunteer with Citizens Climate Lobby back in 2017, and since then has just gone on working with them and is now, I think, partly a staff person uh, who's working with diversity and inclusion with the Citizens Climate Lobby. Her work experience before CCC was as a um, multimedia journalist for diverse audiences in Dallas, Texas. Um, she's put together affinity teams, Latinos, LGBT, um, all kinds of groups to help them work together in the citizens climate um, lobby. And um, we're just pleased to, it's fun to have you here. Thank you very much for being here, Karina. Thank you so much, pleasure. And uh, next is Lawrence Abbott. Is Lawrence just on the phone or? Oh, there's Lawrence, wonderful. I always feel better when Lawrence is here. Uh, he spent his working life in wildlife biology, uh, arboriculture, truck driving, warehousing, and political organizing. So you could tell he was pretty busy uh, in what he calls retirement, but as it doesn't sound it 
uh, sound uh, to me like retirement. He represents his union, which is the IBT-70, as delegate to the Alameda Labor Council of the AFL-CIO. Um, as a hobby, he plants seeds and native plants to restore nature, and one of his really time-consuming hobbies is to advocate for Move to Amend and the We the People Amendment, uh, which is supported by Move to Amend. And I think that Lawrence will talk to us a little bit after that. Um, so Lawrence, I'm pleased you're here. I'm glad to hear everybody. If you each have about 10 minutes, I'll try to hold up a little sign if it gets to be one minute left. So um, I don't know exactly how long you plan and then we'll have questions and answers. So um, let's begin with Afifa. Can you unmute yourself there and um, chat with us? Yeah, sure. All right. So, um, so Talking about like the undertaking, Linda, you were saying it's a huge undertaking, redefining everything, uh, redefining the rights as um, the Supreme Court is doing now. Uh, so just want to acknowledge uh, that space to you and acknowledge our angers and frustrations that uh, somehow um, hundred year old definitions of stuff that are defining us now. Um, and uh, so at FPSU, what we do at SEIU, Florida Public Services Union, we are trying to redefine everything, right? The work, worker, um, economy, economic justice, all of that stuff, right? Um, and one of the big thing in, in, in achieving worker power is when did the labor uh, stopped being a movement and became an institution, right? And how the impact uh, it created on the progress of workers' rights from there um, onwards, right? So when we became a static institution and we were more concerned about the work side and the boundaries that we maintained within, and we stopped talking about the labor solidarity as much and were more concerned about the union rates on each other and like who has the more dues-paying members, right? And the impact it has created in, on workers and labor movement in general, right? So we are like, you know, uh, screw the boundaries, right? It's like, you know, who defined them, right? What is work site? Um, when did workers started having those those limitations of nine to five work life, right? When we had um, those kind of uh, privileges that we were enjoying, right? The workers are not nine to five workers. We are not eight hour workers, right? Our whole life is impacted by the decisions made at our work sites as a public sector institutions and beyond, right? So when the labor said, I will represent your work life alone, what does that mean, right? So does that mean that after you, you clock off from the work, I am no longer responsible for you and no longer will be advocating on your rights and on, um, on whatever is happening in the community, right? So we said, no, we do not define the work life of a person. We represent a whole person. Right? We're not representing workers and workers alone. We are representing them as humans, as, as citizens um, here in this country, right? Um, so that was like, you know, our, our redefining moment on who, on who we represent, right? Um, another moment came is like, you know, uh, for us, which was like uh, pretty critical was like, okay, what the hell is economy, right? And and who is defining economy and what is the economic system that we are practicing, right? We talk about capitalism and all the negative impacts that capitalism has created, but where is our economy? Where is the alternative economy, a new world that is possible? Have we invested in creating and painting that picture of an alternative economy that is possible? Have we created that economic ecosystem that the workers need at this point of time, right? So where we have given that right to uh, people with money to define the economy, right? And we, we have not done enough to invest in it, right? So we are like, uh, screw the economic ecosystem that exists right now, we are creating our own. Right, we are um, letting the world know that predatory lending practices impact the workers in a negative way, and there is an alternative system that is possible. You don't have to make um, a five hundred percent on the loans that you are giving to the workers, right? For for putting like you know what tires in their car, like you know, come on, 
right? So we, we are like, you know, we have to define that. We have to create an alternative economic system because our communities are freaking sick and tired of our, our slogans, right? And how long can we live with those slogans, right? Our communities are, are screaming for help. And what we are giving them is like, um, yeah, awesome. Here's another slogan for you, right? So we're like, okay, we are done with the slogans. We will make it happen, right? So we are like, you know, pretty rebellious like that. We live in Florida for heaven's sake, right? We have to be rebellious and resisting, right? Uh, so the alternative economy is another definition that we are trying to create. Like another um, thing that is very critical for us is um, we're done with intellectual arrogance, right? We are done with intellect. We are very smart people on this call, right? And we, we have absorbed uh, all the intellect um, that we're doing. We speak a language that the communities do not understand. And we feel that we are better than them. And we feel that we need to educate our communities. Like if you are coming to my house and knocking on the door and telling me how to raise my kid, I will let you know how to raise my kid, right? My communities do not need education, right? They need somebody to listen to them to sit down with them and to be part of the change that they are bringing, right? So we are here redefining that intellectual arrogance too. And in order to do that, right, we, we um, are redefine, redefining the union. So when we sit on the tables along with people who are uh, talking about the criminal justice reform and we talk to the government institutions and they come over and tell um, like, why is union here, right? And we are like, why not? Right? Who defined the union cannot negotiate a better criminal justice system? Who defined that unions cannot negotiate economic, uh, environmental uh, regulations? Who defined that? Right. So we are challenging that definitions too. And the threats. Oh my God! Like, hey, we live in Florida, right? We have we have a dissenters that is soon planning to be everyone else's problem too, right? So we are we are facing that. So there are numerous threats. Um, and I, I would go into like the, the attack of the right on the on the rights and the corporate greed and how the corporate control Florida and how corporations run Florida and how our go governor is nothing but a puppet to these corporations who pay him and he only does what these corporations want and he puts on like Disney's of the world like you know we are attacking the woke corporation while at the same time gave them 528 million of tax breaks this year alone. Right. So come on, we see that. Right. So as journalists, what we are doing is we are presenting the fact. We are telling the communities what the facts are and the communities are are, are speaking up. And I absolutely in a previous panel, somebody said that um, the working families on the other side that we no, do not normally talk to actually agree with us. They agree with the corporate greed. They agree that there uh, needs to be a taxation system reform because the consumers are taking up the burden in Florida. But I would say the biggest threat to ourselves, uh, to this movement is us ourselves, right? Because we have, uh, we are the one who are maintaining the status quo and not re redefining what was defined for us. And I would stop there. Oh, wonderful. Thank you very much, uh, FIFA. And we'll get back to you with questions after we listen to uh, Karina next. Hello, everybody. I am so uh, glad to be in your company today. Uh, I realized that, uh, Afifa, we're in the same town. I'm also in uh, West Palm Beach. <laughs> so great to see you. Um, so about the work that I do. So I, uh, as Linda mentioned, I, I started volunteering with this organization called Citizens Climate Lobby. Um, I am now in my fifth year. And when I came to that organization, the idea was that I just wanted to make their information available to other people. So language justice was a big deal for me. And I was coming from a space of Spanish language journalism. And every time someone would write to me about, you know, tell someone about my organization or my company, and I'm like, where's the information in Spanish? Like, can I see that? Mm -hmm. And we didn't have that, right? So it, the same thing happened with this organization. And I was just there for like, okay, I'm going to go help translate. I am going to go tell other people, my family, what this, this organization does. I didn't think years later, I will become the director of diversity and inclusion. And it was something that happened because the volunteers wanted it, right? It wasn't a position that I was seeking. 
Um, but somehow in this organization, I became like the person to help communicate the volunteers with the higher ups. So for me, it became very important and crucial that if people were gonna talk about claiming solutions, that they involve as many of us as possible, that it was important to me that have those voices, the ones that had been marginalized and historically excluded, um, to be part of the solutions that they were proposing. And of course, the solution that they were proposing at the time, you know, every single solution has an issue. But with the solution that we're proposing, carbon fee and dividend, um, I felt like, okay, the idea is a, is a great concept in theory. I would like to see how that would play out if we ever were to adopt it in real terms. So I have learned a lot about how Congress works, how about the legislative process. Um, I find that it is important for all of our communities to get a refresher about how the government works. And I say this as someone who's a naturalized citizen um, and, and I believe that because I have naturalized and because we go through so much hurdles to become, you know, an American citizen, we get to learn a lot more than the people that are born in the U.S. and understand how the government works, how the law works. So I find it crucial that I feel the need to talk to everyone that I can about that. Why voting is so important. Why you should not give up on the country that we have. Um, if anything, you know, anything that we have seen in the last week, in the past couple of years, to reassure us that we should be active participants in this, in this type of country that we have. Um, so yeah, so that's part of the work that I engaged in. Um, as Linda mentioned, yes, inside the organization, I have helped create some affinity teams. And the reason why those teams were created was because we didn't have a presentation. And it was one team after the other. So the first team was Latinos, and then after that, other girls were like, well, what about us? The African-American community doesn't have a space, and the Asian community doesn't have a space. So I became sort of the person to help create those teams and support them. Uh, I'm happy to say that we have nine affinity teams since we started. Um, the last team that was created last fall was a team for people in need of accommodation. And we are also learning and I want to like remind people we're in constant learning diversity and inclusion work doesn't just you know stop the minute you create an affinity team or the minute you present a program it's an everyday learning that has to be done collectively and also has to be done individually right because I don't know what ideas were given to you I don't know the ideas that you picked up along the way in this lifetime but we come to this place of work um, for me is you know the climate space where all of our ideas are there and how we're going to work together and then to top it we're also a bipartisan organization so you can imagine <laughs> the type of conversations we have uh to try to think of like well what climate solution is going to be best in this space where we all come with our different ideas so that's all i can say for now Good. thank you very much karina um I, I'm glad you two found each other. Maybe your neighbors in West Palm Beach or something. Um, let's go on out to the West Coast now with Lawrence Abbott. Lawrence is gonna talk to us, I imagine, about both Move to Amend and labor unions and um, the future of labor unions and so on. So Lawrence. Well, thank you, Linda. And you know, I can't help but talk about that. And it actually fits in with our, our topics and discussion today. So I'm especially happy. Um, first of all, I'd like to start at the beginning because um, for me, it was kind of a rough transition from uh, the rights of nature to labor, but um, it's actually um, all connected. It's uh, very, very much so. And it's all about, um, you know, rights of, rights of nature, rights of workers. Um, and then what everybody was saying on the last panel was that it shouldn't be so hard. You know, it's almost impossible. It shouldn't be so hard to get these rights, to get justice. And um, of course, that's where Move to Amend comes in. And that's where my, my work for um, uh, radical change comes in. And so that's another thing I'd like to talk about real quick before I start is um, the, the name of this um, panel, the name of this um, weekend gathering um, in botany, uh, the word radical, and I can't help it, <laughs> but digressing a lot because um, I have had a, a lot of experience in botany, wildlife biology, ecology, and, and labor. And to me, it really is all the same thing. So 
in botany, uh, something that's radical, a radical um, is that first root that comes out of a seedling and it grows downward. And at the top of the radical is where the above ground part starts growing. So um, it was such a good name for, for this gathering. And then in the previous um, group, I, I heard people saying like, well, when did you realize that you become radicalized? And I think that our, the words that we use are really important because the, the status quo is already really afraid of move to amend. They're afraid of change. Uh, big labor unions are afraid of change. So I would argue that, um, that we haven't been rad radicalized, that we're all the work that we're doing and everything that I've heard in the panel before, that's just logical stuff that's happening to try to help the planet stay sustainable, to have an ecosystem where we can live in. None of that is radical and wanting our system to work for us. The, the radicalized people are the ones that have um, corrupted our system and um, made it so dysfunctional and makes it um, you know, only work for giant greedy interests versus the interests of all of us and, and our long-term survival and, and our ability to thrive. So I just wanted to share that really quick, just some thoughts. And then um, I'd also like to, so we defined radical just now, I'd also like to define a labor union. So um, labor unions have gotten sort of a black eye over the years by uh, a real strong propaganda campaign, you know, corporate campaign again, against labor. And labor unions are nothing more than working people standing together. And um, you could add to that, you know, why are they standing together for, for a balance of power with their employer? So our employers tend to be really powerful in this capitalist system that we live in. And um, so the overarching theme to me is all power. Like everybody said before, it shouldn't be this hard to get things done. It's because we don't have our just power. The just power should of course uh, lie with the people, with we the people. And, um, and when you learn about power, which I was taught um, in my social studies class in middle school, then again in high school, is that power corrupts people and absolute power corrupts them absolutely. And so power has to lie with the people. And right now it doesn't because our system's been rigged, right? With the concept of corporate personhood, that corporations are people and that their, their money is their constitutionally protected free speech. I mean, you can't, almost couldn't invent anything more Orwellian and, and bizarre than that. Um, so uh, I would just like to say really quickly that um, um, the, okay, I covered that already. I'm just going off my list because I keep changing what I want to talk about based on what I'm hearing from everybody. So real quickly, actually to unions, um, what we were able to do at the Alameda Labor Council is my union, uh, the, the leader of my Teamsters Local 70 union in Oakland, California, um, really hated uh, Citizens United. And so they pushed really hard for legislation that we got on the state level to pass um, Proposition uh, 59 in 2016. And that let us put pressure on our state. Um, well, the, it was a ballot question that we got to vote on in 2016. And my Teamsters union brought it to Cal Labor Fed, which is the AFL-CIO state body um, in California. And we endorsed, uh, endorsed it. And it was the um, reversing Citizens United um, uh, ballot question. And it was just uh, on the ballot. And it was just a question that everybody got to vote yes or no on. And the question was, shall California's elected officials use all of their constitutional authority to overturn Citizens United and establish that corporations are not people and that money's not speech. And um, when I brought that to my political director, he said, of course, we'll support that. That's a no brainer. And we passed it and it passed. So every, every a political official is required to do that. And that came in part out of labor. So, um, you know, the grassroots part of labor is where all the power is. The obstruction is at the top of labor because a lot of the, at the national level, the AFL-CIO and the Teamsters both think that uh, they know that the system is rigged against us ultimately, but they're afraid uh, of radical change. They're afraid, uh, they, they, all they know is money and politics. So it's up to the grassroots to teach them that we can't win. And I can give specific examples later if there's time, but I don't wanna use any more time. I really wanna hear what everybody has to say. And, um, and I wanna learn from you guys. 
Thanks, Lawrence. Thanks very, very much. Um, yeah, I've, I've also been interested in thinking about how these two earlier uh, presentations fit together because we're all talking about the people being able to do what they want, to be able to make the changes that they want to make and so on and so forth. Um, and I particularly myself like your, your um, comments, Afifa, about how uh, it's begun to seem in lots of unions that we are not working as workers everywhere. We're only working as workers to get our own uh, wages up or to get better benefits for ourselves. And that gives us less power than if we really realize that we're working on the same kinds of things that workers everywhere um, want to hear. Um, so what if uh, what if you people who can do these kinds of things, Alfonso, if you or Shelley would turn on the questions and answers, um, I think that would be great. Another thing that uh, that I think all three of you mentioned was listening to the people who really do the work, right? That we don't come in and educate them about what their issues are or what their uh, problems are or whatever, because they're the ones who know how to solve the problem and they're the only ones who can solve it often enough. Um, okay, good. So the chat's over, um, open. And uh, if anybody wants to ask questions, that'll be just grand. I'm glad to hear that um, that California passed that referendum. Um, and we passed a similar one in Montana long ago. Um, but the question that somebody talked about earlier on in the, even in the uh, rights of nature panel was, is it being enforced? Are, are legislators and public officials really working in the direction that the people said they wanted to go in their, in their, um, in, in their referendum? Or are they just ignoring that and going on with the money um, the money game. Uh, Afifa, did you have something to say um, about that? Mm -hmm. Not in uh, for that in particular, but you know, like you know, hey, what we have done, uh, what we have not done, is um, is the accountability mechanisms, right? Like you know, what we have done a, a very tremendous job is um, organizing during election seasons, right? So in Florida, have, we have two elections every year, at least a minimum of two elections. <laughs> and like Karina Rose, like, you know, like when we are talking about like reminding people to vote, like we have to do it like every other week, right? Because we have some election going on somewhere, right? Um, but we have done a remarkable job in organizing around elections, like putting boots on the ground and knocking on the doors and talking to them about candidates and their platforms and policies. Um, what we have not done effectively is we have uh, ignored the, 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 the very fundamental point of participatory democracies, which is our budgeting processes, right? And like, you know, are we knocking on the door when the budgets are being presented? Like who is um, looking at the line items and saying that, you know, hey, like, you know, yeah, the, that proposition was passed. Where is the money for enforcement, right? And like, what are we doing for enforcement or are public budgets representing the taxpayers in trust or are they giving tax breaks to the corporations again? at the state level, at the municipal level, at your school budget level, like who is doing that, right? So uh, the organizing cannot be a part-time seasonal job, right? That whenever it's elections that you go and knock on the door and then like, you know, hey, communities, bye, we'll see you next election, right? So we, we claim that politicians are doing it, but we as activists do it too, right? So we, we were like, okay, we'll see you after like, you know, in the next election, like after 2022, we'll see you in 2024 in Florida. It's like, Two weeks later, but you know, it's it's the point is that it has to be a constant, con continuous, infinity circle, right? Mm -hmm. Where we we keep on talking to them. Another point that Lawrence was talking about, like you know, uh, the rights are rights. Like you know, it should not be hard to get them, right? I totally hundred percent agree. For for a very small percentage of America, that actually is true, right? For instance, the chambers of commerce in every single definition are the unions, right? Like they are not defined as unions. So when 
there are uh, like right to work kind of laws are coming in, like why are the Chamber of Commerce are not getting any kind of like, you know, union restrictive rights? Like, cause you know, they have big money groups, like, you know, so we have to also call out their BS and give it back to them. Like, you know, when you are talking about the, that you are against unions and unions are not doing enough, but you don't talk about the chambers, right? So then you are literally talking about workers and not only all the workers, cause you know, you, you take out the public safety unions from that, which is like very like male oriented kind of unions. And you are basically focusing on healthcare, public sector, some private sector unions, which are like mostly women, mostly women of color. Yeah, good, good point, good point. I have, I have friends here in North Carolina who work with a group called Down Home North Carolina, and they organize all the time, year in and year out. And they just know that people must have relationships with you if you want them to uh, move in a particular direction and you have to have a relationship with them. So I think that business of it's being a continuous cycle is really good. Lawrence, you had your hand up. What did you want? Did you want to say something about that? Yeah, I did want to say something. Um, so uh, those relationships are so important, you know, like, like you've mentioned before and, and other people that there are no shortcuts to um, organizing. And of course, we always wanna be as strategic as possible and keep things as simple as possible. But over the years, I've watched my um, Alameda Labor Council go from sort of a good old boys club where um, it was all run by men. And um, it was very, um, it wasn't really inclusive for the community. It wasn't really benefiting the community or um, or uh, you know all the labor unions as much as it could be. And over the years, I've watched the diversity inclusiveness really change there as it's become a, a woman led um, the last two uh, executive secretary treasurers, which is the highest level really, uh, the person at the helm of, of the um, central labor councils have been women. And um, they've been so much better at um, you know supporting things that support everybody. So I'm so happy that um, also my, my local 70 uh, Teamsters Union and my local um, Alameda Labor Council, AFL-CIO, both have support resolutions for the We the People Amendment. And that took quite a few years to build those relationships and trust. But when it finally came to a vote, it was unanimous, um, unanimous for both the executive committee and for the delegates. So, you mm -hmm. know, the, the workers can really see the value of increasing uh, worker power, people power, and, and unions run on people power, and, and making it easier to do everything once we pass our constitutional amendment, make it easier to achieve justice um, instead of it having it be like an impossible fight the way it is now in our rigged system. Right, good point. Excellent, Lawrence. I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna, Karina, do you have anything to add to that? Um, I, I, I put my hand down because uh, Afifa like okay. address, uh, okay. you know, thing, okay. but you, you may continue. <laughs> okay. Uh, let me just ask one of the questions which has come up in the chat and Aiden has a question. They ask, how do we keep this movement accessible to disabled people who are often left out of the movements? Many of us are trapped in forced poverty due to our disability programs that give us not enough for survival, restricts our ability to work and have housing and access to healthcare. Um, are labor unions tapping the potential and creative of disabled folks? And I imagine you might have something to say about that too, Karina, because you're working in a volunteer um, um, situation. So who would like to uh, uh, do labor unions or do other movements really tap into the potential and, create, and creative power of disabled folks? Anybody wanna take that on? I have a real quick question, Linda. Um, uh, are the organization or the um, within Move to Amend, we have a training program and I can't think of the name of it offhand. Um, do you know the name of it? It's something 3.0, <laughs> but it's it's all about, our training program is all about, there it is, movement, movement education, education program. program. Thank you, Shelly. Mm -hmm. 
And um, that's all about uh, diversity and inclusivity. So Move to Amend has our labor caucus. So within our labor caucus, that's sort of the intersection between diversity and inclusivity and labor and organizing. And it's all about organizing and that we we can't have effective organizing without uh, you know diversity and, and inclusivity. And um, whereas in, in my union experience, because labor uh, in the fields that I'm f- custom with and familiar with, we really don't have many disabled people. Um, uh, and so it's typically not an issue because, you know, disabled people typically aren't, um, you know, building houses or, um, or, or driving trucks. Although um, I, can, I can definitely cite um, exceptions to that. Um, and uh, I would say that our union tries to, and, and our labor council both, uh, really have made great strides in, in that area. Pass. Great. Thanks, Lawrence. Uh, yeah, Karina. So I can tell you some of the things that we have done over in my mm. organization. Uh, we've one of my, uh, collaborators and wonderful staff members, uh, brought in yes. why we did not do something as simple as ASL interpretation, right? That could oh, be no. one thing that could be adopted. So my organization in March, uh, we have these calls that take place every um, Saturday of the month, where they're just informational that talk about a climate issue at a time. Um, and those calls now will now have, since March, ASL interpretation, and starting next month, they will have Spanish language translation. That could be two ways to think about inclusivity because you're not thinking of who is not part of this conversation just yet. Um, we just recently had a conference um, and I was in a room with about 146 people who were listening to a wonderful, um, wonderful person that has just been driving and helping companies and organizations think more inclusive of how to actually build relationships and get more people that are in need of accommodation involved in different types of uh, company and organizations. Um, his name is Richard Pimentel. <coughs> and I will uh, put in uh, his information. And he knows anything that can guide every single organization in how to best work on deals with employer rights for the disabled community. Um, and what are some things that you could do in order to uh, work with them? Um, when he was introduced to us, we were having a conversation with him about why wasn't the people um, in need of accommodations involved in climate spaces? especially seeing that, you know, people don't think about how just any kind of climate disaster or tragedy affects a person. What happens when you have a hurricane and someone is in, in a wheelchair and how does that person, you know, get the assistance and what happened when someone is deaf and how did they get that information? So it's, it's, it's very interesting to help us expand our mind about, you know, what is it um, that we can do, especially because there's so much creativity that comes with uh, talking to people that are in need of accommodation because through their life, they had to get creative to be able to survive in this world. So of course they can bring so much to our movements. And, and by that, I mean every single type of our movement. So I am, um, yeah, so I am advocating for more of that in my organization now. Um, yeah, so. Good. Because we all have to be in it together, right? We can't just have a few of us working. I, um, in my move to a men group when I was back in Montana, um, we were always sort of forgetting about the person who couldn't be at meetings. I mean, once she couldn't be at meetings, as she had been with us for many years, then, I mean, a meeting is just something that, at least until Zoom, not everybody could do, right? So you have to think about how you work as well. Here's, here's uh, something, and um, I, I wish I knew this person's first name. Uh, first name uh, his or her last name is Rybal, I think. But in any case, here's the comment that this person says, and um, says, I mean this respectfully, but I think we have to move forward in truth. Makes good sense. Please don't try and pass unions off as all good. In a lot of ways, they are now simply an extension of the company. A group in Mexico just voted to have their own grassroots union because they discovered that they were not represented. And I'm wondering whether that has anything to do with a question that somebody else uh, asked, 
let's see if I can find it. It has to do with the success of these small independent Starbucks and so on and so forth union movements, um, some of which at least have not been um, under the rubric of a big union. So what do you, what do you say about this? Uh, Lawrence kind of alluded to the fact that unions have sometimes gotten a bad rep. Um, and so what, what, do you, what do we say about that? That unions, well, I'll just let you go. Uh, Lawrence and then Afifa. Yeah, I'd just like to say that I think that's the biggest difference between large national and international unions and, and the membership themselves. You know, some some unions represent their membership much, much better than others. And all union reps are beholden to their workers and they don't want to offend their workers um, because, you know, they want to stay in their position as being a rep. So um, sometimes they're not very courageous. You know, it just really depends on the individual union. It depends on how courageous and um, and, and it depends on how democratic the union is. So um, there, there are many variables, and I totally agree with what, um, with the comment, with that comment that um, some unions are just. I'll give you a good example. Um, PG&E in California has been doing horrible things. It's, it's a private uh, company that runs our power system for most of the most of the state of California, the northern half of California. They've been doing horrible things by. Um, as a private corporation by taking their profits and um, uh, giving their executives massive salaries and paying um, shareholders and not investing in infrastructure, not putting their their high, high power cables and wires underground. And so in windstorms, they've been starting fires and killing people. They haven't been upgrading their gas lines and they um, you know, had massive explosions that killed people and wiped out half a city in the, in the, in the Bay Area. Um, and they're fighting against um, solar on houses now. They're, they're trying to end net, um, net energy um, where people get paid, uh, you know, can sell their excess solar rooftop energy back to the grid. So, and, and then the SEI union, there's one big union that represents all those workers, they tend to go along with everything that PG&E goes along with. So that's a real good example, and it's a big problem. It's, so it's good to, to know that and to call it out and then um, make the changes. Like we're hoping in California to actually privatize our energy system and kick PG&E out because it's certainly not benefiting anyone. And I would argue it's not benefiting the membership, the, the workers. Good. Thank you, Lawrence. Anything about that, FIFA? Or yeah. Um, so on 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 that comment, right? I'm 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 struggling on how to answer that, right? Because there are so many different ways of answering that. One of them will be like try to live our lives too, right? Um, uh, it's 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 the 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 fight that most of the time labor organizers are fighting on not all levels and sometimes we feel very isolated within the movement too right because you know nobody is again as as i um, commented earlier on when we were talking about the diversity and inclusion in the in the panel before us um talked about like you know uh, rather than inviting us to your movement join our movement kind of a comment too right it's like uh, the labor unions sometimes feel very isolated, right? So this this whole comment, like you know, about like you know the the smaller unions and Amazon and like you know why why is that happening in Starbucks and stuff, right? Um, I think like you know one of the thing uh, one of the thing that we have to acknowledge is why is it happening is like these gigantic billionaire trillionaire but uh, uh, billion dollar trillion dollar corporations never existed before. Now these are massive gigantic corporations, right? So Newton's third law of motion is like, you know, hey, you, you will stretch and it will bounce back, right? So the workers are bouncing back, you're taking away their right. But there's like another point to acknowledge that like, you know, SEIU and their investment in uh, in minimum wage campaign and fight for 15 campaign, it's like, you know, for, for past 15 years, we were like, you know, knocking and talking about the minimum wage campaign. And these movements are also inspired by those, um, the groups like SEIU, like, you know, the groups like AFL-CIO um, um, that, you know, that, that, that are constantly giving values and ideas to the movement, right? 
Um, another thing that, you know, I, I agree to an extent that, you know, uh, the labor unions are very static uh, right now in their, uh, in their infrastructure. But at the same time, I think uh, the, the, the revolution of the ideas and how the movement in general and the progressive movement is being sustained by the, by the workers, like, you know, and how we are constantly working on, um, on helping and supporting um, um, the movement, right? One of those comments was like around um, uh, the, the cross-section coordination between the uh, labor unions and other organizations. We are doing it in Florida in, in a very um, awesome way. The Florida for All movement where we have like multiple different organization being part of a structure to develop, uh, um, to, to, to shift the power balance in, uh, in favor of working families or at local theory of change tables that we have developed where we are all sitting down together as the communities and talking about like how can we reclaim the power in our own local communities like these are very awesome examples of the, some of those so I can go on and on because you know yeah. I can write a paper about it but yeah I'll stop here. Thank you very much Afifa and I noticed Karina that you put up a comment uh, about how um, in our movements or elsewhere we should keep in mind that all of the technology that we have now has really made it a lot easier for folks who aren't as mobile as they might have been or as they may as they could be or as, they, as we are to be able to do the kind of important work by tech which needs to be done, right? Um, let's see, what else do we have? We've talked about, um, uh, yeah, Lawrence. I just wanted to add to my story really quick on the last question about um, using PG&E as an example in the IBW union about how certain unions can become too close to their, right. to their evil corporation. But um, on the other hand, I just wanna mention that because of grassroots organizing and our local FLCA union becoming more inclusive and more community-based, we created a climate caucus at our Alameda Labor Council. And through that climate caucus, we hammered out a deal for community choice aggregation. And what that is, is it's in California, it's the ability of local communities to own their own power. And to, instead of paying money to PG&E, we pay to our community, uh, you know, our community organization, and the um, through people recognizing that the um, IBEW was, you know, very much beholden to PG&E, but they still came around. It was the combined effort of all the unions working together through their labor central labor council that eventually worked out a deal where, when we created and we did create our local community choice aggregation. We said that all the solar panels that we put up and wind power will all have project labor agreements that, uh, you know, IBEW electricians will do that work and do it uh, safely. And so it actually, you know, is having a happy ending, even though, you know, uh, I agree with the person that said, you know, that, that unions can become too beholden to their corporation. But this is another example of where grassroots organizing is, is winning the day. Right. Good. Uh, well, yeah, Karina. I, I also wanted just, you know, I was thinking about this. I'm hearing everybody, you know, a comment on, on the systems that we have in place. I, I sort of want to remind everyone that we are all working in imperfect systems and there are histories of there's white supremacy at play <laughs> in oh. the places that we are. And I say this, you know, as a person of color that continues to see things and learn things every day, and sometimes it's very hard to uh, be in predominantly white spaces and voice your opinion about what you see as something that could that you consider that could be changed. Um, and I mean, I, I work in a predominantly white organization, so you can imagine what it was like for me to be the only person at that point in my chapter as the only person of color. And I'll be like, okay, do I belong here? Do I, what do I do here? Do I walk out the door just now? Um, but you know, something happened in that initial meeting where someone came up to me and they're, you know, and they walk on me and I somehow feel safe. The idea of feeling safe in the places where we are is so incredibly important. Um, so I, you know, I wanna say for all the things that we advocate for, I want to remind everyone that 
if you're a white person that you need to help open up more spaces for people of color to be there because the world right now it is ruled by by white folks um and if you're a person of color it's a reminder of you have the right to be in the space that you inhabit your voice and your opinions and anything that you bring your experience is valuable you make every single organization and company a better organization and company by your uh, lived experience, by your interests in what they want to do. Um, yeah, I sort of just wanted to put that out there for um, just because I was thinking about it just now. Thanks, Karina. Thanks very much. And Afifa? Yeah, I just uh, one question that, you know, on, on um, uh, we were talking about the uh, people with different abilities, like, you know, how we, uh, they are not included in um, or uh, or they feel that they are not included in the movement and which is absolutely 100% true. And there's another question about the STEM, um, um, you know, workers, like, you know, how are we including them in the movement? Um, so there's like, you know, one thing that I would say is, um, again, uh, redefining the union, the workers union, right, into a community union and how we represent people in our communities. So changing that, uh, diminishing that boundary between the community and union and making it one community union, right? So we, we definitely need um, to represent people with different abilities who are not able to work in the traditional workforce, right? And like, you know, and uh, are still fighting for their rights, are still workers, right? Who could have been working, but unfortunately, um, our societies are not providing them opportunities. So absolutely, hundred percent agree. And then the the second thing is like you know there are some uh, I represent public sector workers like you know so we do represent some of the STEM um, professional um, employees in quote unquote professionals uh, in in public sector uni uh, public sectors right. Uh, but there is like, you know, uh, America is only 11% uh, uh, public sector workers are organized, right? And 6% in the private sector organized. So the, the room to grow. And I always, um, you know, whenever we talk to our members, I always remind them the immense power that brings. Like, just imagine the 6% are giving them nightmares <laughs> and having multiple sleepless lights and, 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 mm -hmm forcing them to uh, attack on workers, right? Um, things would, would have been so much different. It's 80% and 90% organized workers. We would give them complete nightmarish life for the rest of their lives. Mm. Mm -hmm. Good. Thank you very much, both of you. Um, I wanna just ask a question of Karina. Karina, have, and this kind of puts you on the spot, but um, have you noticed that the kind of work you do or are the kind of work that the citizens climate lobby does or the way they do their work has changed for the better because you are now more um <clears throat> inclusive in um you know both asl and uh other languages and with uh, people of disabilities and so on um have you noticed that that's made a change because i think it, it's got to be a richer sort of community for the difference of experience. Mm -hmm. I can tell you we are a work in progress. Um, uh, when I started in 2017 and I went to my first conference in, in that fall, like I joined in August and I was at my first conference in November, the, the people of color almost, <laughs> we, were, we were so few. I want to name maybe five that I saw at that conference and they were at least more than 500 people and I'm like oh and, and there's a sea of white and, and what 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 exactly do I bring here uh, and it was a little scary hmm. um, but I decided to stick with it because I believe in the mission of the organization right we, we our organization has this thing of you know we want to have a livable world and and we want everybody to be to be part of this system right um, and as I have had more conversations and made it open for you know to have more people to talk about you know the issues that we have uh, either as an organization of being predominantly white or just having less people of color it is always my um it's always my view that every single entity in an organization that welcomes us with with open arms will be mm -hmm. extremely better 
I mm-hmm. mean, I the fact that I now get to see all these affinity teams interact and advocate for things that they want, it is what I envisioned when I joined. Yeah. That's what I wanted. You know, now I am seeking more uh, language because I feel language justice is just so incredibly crucial to the work that we do. Uh, we live in a global space. So it doesn't matter if you're in the U.S., whatever happens here affects other people in the world and whatever happens in the world affects things here. So it, it is important to have as many voices as possible involved. And, uh, and I believe in that cold-heartedly and I believe in the power of community and the power of collaboration. And we're moving into that now. And we're also looking into expanding the policy that we support. It, it used to be just carbon fee dividend. We're going to move now into um, nature-based solutions and clean energy. And I'm like, great, there, mm-hmm. there's possibility now for more collaboration, and we want that. And, and the people of all of our affinity teams, you know, want more collaboration and more discussion. Mm-hmm. And, but it takes, it's a give and take, right? I had to have a lot of conversations with my staff about, you know, who we are as an organization, what is it that we would like to be in the future. And, and it's tough. Like we now host race and in, in, in culture conversation. We, we have our own internal race conversations at our organization. Um, and I had to move them to be monthly, instead of monthly, to be quarterly because they are emotionally draining. Mm-hmm. And, and people have to be brave to walk into those spaces and, and want to, you know, and you have to acknowledge that, that you're going to be vulnerable in the space. And sometimes, you know, when you're talking about listening and, and, and the panel before us was talking about you know, <clears throat> power of listening, that requires, that requires a lot and you have to be ready to sort of, you know, be able to, to, to see it and just kind of be like, okay, we know this is, this is our situation and this is how we want to move forward and we can do this together, even in spite of our differences, even in spite of our language, even in spite of all of the other things that you think that will prevent us from moving forward. That's wonderful. Thank you for challenging us and reminding us. Um, Karina, Lawrence, you've got your hand up. Yeah, Karina, have you noticed um, change since you've been there? Um, is, is your organization starting to become more diverse and inclusive? It is working on it. I am fighting for okay. it. I'm Very fighting good. for it every day. I well, tell you. I, I hope for you so much because at the Labor Council, in the years that I've been there, I'm, I'm old now. But um, when I was young, it was disgusting, you know, and, and it was all bad. And now it's all good and it's incredibly diverse. Um, it's so it, it can happen. <laughs> I, I know it's possible. I have seen it. it uh, sometimes it feels like it's a slow progress. Yes. But, but I mean, I just came from this conference and I had like people in the room. We, we also have like a people of the global majority action team. So we, we have mm-hmm. action teams inside our organization. And we have one just designated for, for, for the BIPOC community. Mm-hmm. Because when I started, we're like, ah, oh, you're the only person in the chapter. I'm the only person in the chapter. We should talk about, you know, what we could do <laughs> together. So to be able to now have a room where people can go and, and that room was filled with, we had 15 women at this last gathering, 15 women of color in one room talking about climate and why they're involved. And I was sitting there like, yes, I want more <laughs> of this. Uh, it, it was just absolutely fantastic. And I'll tell you, when I saw the, the young women come in, that to me gave me, you know, a, a sense of, of, of accomplishment because there's no, I mean, I'm in my uh, late 40s. It's no longer about me. This work is not about me anymore. It's about the generations that are coming after me. And I want to make sure that they know that they have a voice, that, they, that we want to hear them, that they can participate and that they can change. Our system yeah. can change. We have to be willing to do it. Wonderful. Thank you. I, you know, actually I, um, maybe possibly it wasn't too long after the 2016 election. I read a book by a woman named Tamara Drought, I believe, D-R-A-U-T. And the main title of the book was The Sleeping Giant. And partly what she was talking about was, you know, this idea that we have that this group voted for Trump and this group didn't vote for Trump and you know why did they do it and so on. And her, her point was the sleeping giant for her was the working class, which was becoming ever, ever, ever more diverse. And she said, you know, we, we ought not to think about the working class anymore as being white guys, right? Because, um, 
low paid women, low wage women, women of color, all of this kind of thing, immigrant women are all becoming part of the workforce now. And, and so we need to think about them when we think of how do we, how do we respond to the working class if we think of ourselves as not working class or whatever? Um, I, I just think it's really, really important. And it was one of the reasons that we wanted to get some, get as many different points of view here as we could. So thank you all very much, panelists. It's been great. I'm glad to have seen you again, Afifa. We did um, one other uh, event with you and Karina. It's a joy to meet you. It's a joy to meet you. Um, Lawrence, always, Lawrence, always. Um, so I guess we can go back to the, the next person and thanks everybody for participating with your questions and your comments.